We are uh, continuing our series in the book of Judges this morning. You can turn in your Bibles to Judges chapter 13. You can also find that text printed for you in the bulletin. I was getting ready, trying to get ready for the sermon this week, and I was getting frustrated because I couldn't figure out how I wanted to start the sermon, and that's kind of a big deal to me because in my mind, the introduction is where we shape what we're going to talk about for the next 30 minutes. And so I was getting frustrated with that, and then I realized my frustration and my anxiety was actually a good illustration of what I wanted, something of what I wanted to get across today. Um, why do I, why am I so worried with having the perfect introduction to a sermon? Well, I want to capture your attention, uh, keep you from going to sleep. I want to feel like I've uh, performed well. But then, perhaps more importantly, I began to think, what if we have like a lot of visitors and like I've got this really bad introduction and they hate it and then they hate the service and they hate the sermon and they never come back and the planet blows up and you know, it just, it just all because I couldn't think of that. And, and, and here's what that illustrates besides the fact that I'm neurotic. What, what that illustrates is, is that we think that spiritual success, um, people coming to know Jesus, people growing in their faith as Christians, is all dependent on us and our gifts and our abilities and the effort that we bring to the table. Um, here's how thinking like that might, might work for you uh, or might look for you. You may be saying to yourself, I can never be a mentor for somebody else because my life is such a mess, and I can never do that until I get my act together. Or I'm too much of a screw-up to ever really be used by God. I've messed up too badly, or I've messed up too many times for God to really love me. I'm beyond the reach of God's grace. Or this person that I care about so much, it feels like they're beyond the reach of God's grace. They don't have any use for God, and I can't imagine a time when they would ever have any use for God. So what I want to do today in the midst of, you guys who have been here know what has been this brutal book of Judges, uh, is to give all of us who are weary and think that everything kind of hinges on me, to give all of us a break and to remind us of the good news that everything really hinges on God and not on us. So that's where we're going. Judges chapter 13. I'm going to start reading in verse 1. This is God's word. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. There was a certain man of Zorah of the tribe of the Danites whose name was Manoah. And his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you are barren and have not born children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Therefore be careful and drink no wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb and he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. Then the woman came and told her husband, A man of God came to me, and his appearance was like the appearance of the angel of God. 
very awesome. I did not ask him where he was from, and he did not tell me his name, but he said to me, Behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. So then drink no wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. Then Manoah prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, please let the man of God whom you sent come again to us and teach us what we are to do with the child who will be born. And God listened to the voice of Manoah, and the angel of God came again to the woman as she sat in the field, but Manoah, her husband, was not with her. So the woman ran quickly and told her husband, Behold, the man who came to me the other day has appeared to me. And Manoah arose and went after his wife and came to the man and said to him, Are you the man who spoke to this woman? And he said, I am. And Manoah said, Now when your words come true, what is to be the child's manner of life and what is his mission? And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, Of all that I said to the woman, let her be careful. She may not eat of anything that comes from the vine, neither let her drink wine or strong drink or eat any unclean thing. All that I commanded her, let her observe. Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, Please let us detain you and prepare a young goat for you. And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, If you detain me, I will not eat of your food. But if you prepare a burnt offering, then offer it to the Lord. For Manoah did not know that he was the angel of the Lord. And Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, What is your name, so that when your words come true, we may honor you? And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? So Manoah took the young goat with a grain offering and offered it on the rock to the Lord, to the one who works wonders. And Manoah and his wife were watching. And when the flame went up toward heaven from the altar, the angel of the Lord went up in the flame of the altar. Now Manoah and his wife were watching, and they fell on their faces to the ground. The angel of the Lord appeared no more to Manoah and to his wife. Then Manoah knew that he was the angel of the Lord. And Manoah said to his wife, We shall surely die if we have seen God. But his wife said to him, If the Lord had meant to kill us, he would not have accepted a burnt offering and a grain offering in our hands, or shown us all these things, or now announced to us such things as these. And the woman bore a son and called his name Samson. And the young man grew, and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him in Mahanadan between Zorah and Eshtel. Let me pray for us. Uh, Father, we do come and approach you in prayer because this is uh, your word. And you have uh, seen that it would be written for our edification, for our uh, growth and encouragement. So, Father, use your word now this morning in our lives. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, those of you who have lived uh, in coastal areas before know kind of the drill. If, if you're going to ride out a hurricane, right, uh, you, they, uh, they always tell you don't get excited when the first wave of the storm comes through when you're sitting in the eye of the storm because the backside's still going to come through. Because you're sitting there in the eye of the storm and you think it's all over, everything's nice now, the sun's out, the angels are singing, and so we're just going to go outside and play. And then, bam, you get hit with the backside of the storm. I think Judges 13 is kind of like the eye of the storm in the book of Judges. Uh, we're going to take a little break this week, and we're going to run outside and play. There's nothing really dark and heavy, 
but I'm just going to warn you, it's coming again next week, okay? Because this story with Samson is going to start off pretty good, and then it's going to get crazy again, as, as things tend to get uh, in the book of Judges. So, what's going on this week in chapter 13 in Judges? Uh, God's people, as they continually have done throughout the book of Judges, have done evil in the sight of the Lord. And so God has given them over into the hands of the Philistines, where they have been oppressed now for 40 years. Uh, In the midst of this, the angel of the Lord shows up, uh, and he visits the wife of a man named Manoah. Uh, She hasn't been able to have children, but the angel of the Lord tells her that she's going to have a son, and her son's going to be a Nazarite. Now, uh, Nazarite was someone who had taken a vow, and in this vow, you promised uh, to not cut your hair and to abstain from wine, really from from anything grape-related you can have anything to do with, uh, and you also had to not come in contact with a dead body. And this is something you would vow to do as a way of showing that you were actively and uh, diligently seeking God's help in some manner. And she's told that her son's basically, he's not going to have a choice in the matter. He's going to be a Nazarite from birth. And that her son is actually going to deliver Israel from the hand of the Philistines. So her son is going to be the next savior deliverer of the people of Israel. Uh, she tells this to her husband, who, like most men, doesn't want to listen to his wife. He's kind of like, okay. So he, he goes and he prays the guy. He's like, I want to hear this kind of straight from the horse's mouth, so to speak. So he prays for the angel of the Lord to come back and to repeat what he has told to his wife, to him. And so they go through this. They, they, they are greeted by the angel of the Lord. They offer an offering uh, here to God. The angel of the Lord ascends in the fire of the offering. And it's finally at this point that Manoah kind of gets it. And his wife is like, I told you. Uh, and, and so uh, th- they're sitting there, and he's like, we're going to die now because we've seen the angel of God. And his wife tells him, no, he wouldn't have, if he was going to kill us, he would have killed us already. Uh, he wouldn't have come and made all of these promises to us of a deliverer of a son if he meant us harm. So she has the baby. They name him Samson. The spirit of the Lord begins to stir in him. So what do we get from all of this, from this text? I want us to see three things from this. Uh, God's undeserved grace, God's miraculous grace, and then a wonderful God. First of all, God's undeserved grace. If you've been through us through the book of Judges, you know that there's kind of a pattern to how all these chapters have worked, right? The people of God rebel against him. Uh, they, They begin to worship idols. God hands them over to their enemies to be oppressed by their enemies. They cry out for deliverance. God raises up a judge to deliver them. And that's kind of how this has worked. But there's something different this time. There's actually something missing in that pattern. Does anybody see what's missing? Did it jump out to anybody? I'll give you a part in the play if you can guess. Um, Here's what's missing. They never pray this time. The the people of God don't pray, they don't cry out. I mean, it doesn't say anything about what they do. They're just kind of moseying along there. They don't repent, they don't don't try to fake repent, they don't do anything. 
later, as we continue to work through this session, you'll, you'll get the sense that they've kind of become apathetic about the whole thing. They've just accepted the fact that this is their lot in life, and the Philistines are going to rule over them, and this is just the way things are going to be. Have you ever been in a situation, kind of a, a, a bad situation, where you've said to yourself, I know, I get it, that my past actions, my sin, is the reason that I'm in the situation that I'm in now. But there's nothing I can really do about it. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just stuck here. I, I don't know if I could even stop whatever sinful pattern got me into this mess. And even if I could go back and correct all that and do the right thing, it wouldn't make any difference anyway because I would still be in this situation. This is just going to be my lot in life. I'm stuck with the decisions I made. Nothing is ever going to be any different for me. Uh, maybe you're stuck dealing with the same sin over and over. Maybe you're stuck because you just feel like you're just spiritually dry and, and that's never going to change and you don't think it'll, it'll ever change. The nation of Israel was in a situation that looked something like that. They were too caught in their sin too spiritually apathetic to even pray. This is kind of, hey, this is just kind of the way it is. What difference is it going to make anyway? Kind of depressing, right? And that's when God shows up. God shows up in the midst of that, in the midst of their prayerlessness, in the midst of their apathy, in the midst of their rebellion. They've, they've done what's evil in God's sight. They haven't repented. They haven't prayed. And God shows up and says, I'm going to deliver you. I'm going to raise up a deliverer who's going to begin the work of ending the Philistine oppression. They didn't deserve to be rescued. They didn't even ask to be rescued. But God was determined to show his people unearned, undeserved grace in spite of their sin. Uh, I heard a story recently of a young lady named Kathy who uh, was living in the Washington, D.C. area. It was there in the, the 1990s, and she was a beautiful young woman, had a successful life, uh, worked as a stockbroker, had nice clothes, nice cars, uh, trained and ran marathons frequently, or as often as you can run marathons. She was, she, she was just a healthy, happy, successful pers person. Uh, she wasn't married, but she was living with her boyfriend who they planned to get married, and everything just seemed great. Uh, until one day, he told her out of the blue that he was gay uh, and didn't want to be involved with her anymore. Then a few months later, she gets a phone call from him saying, uh, actually, I've tested HIV positive, and I really think you ought to go and be tested as well. Well, this was in the 90s, uh, AIDS was still thought to be mainly a disease of gay men and drug users, and so she just kind of put the test off. It's like, I don't, you know, it's, it's going to be okay, I'm not going to worry about it. Well, she began to drag at work, she wasn't able to get in shape for the marathon she was trying to run, and so she finally goes to the doctor, and not only did she have HIV, she now had a case of full-blown AIDS. So, you know, what, what do you do? She, she didn't really know who to talk to. She had a close relationship with her boss. She trusted him. She's like, if there's anybody I can confide in, anybody I can get advice from, I'll go and talk to him. And so she goes and talks to her boss, and 
after they talked for a while, he asked her, well, you know, how is this affecting you spiritually? And, she, you know, she kind of thought for a minute and then said, well, I, I grew up Roman Catholic and um, I abandoned the faith years ago. And, and so I don't, I, I don't really know. Um, and so he invited her to church. And at first she just came and she just sat on the back row, just kind of taking it all in. And then she began to get involved in, in a few more things and a few more things and started, becoming, started coming on a regular basis, even though she still didn't really consider herself religious. This was this thing she was doing during a difficult time in her life. And then one day, it just all clicked. Everything that she'd been hearing in the preaching of the word, everything that she'd been seeing in the lives of the people of this church clicked. And she came to faith in Jesus Christ. Ask him to be her savior. Now here's somebody who had no interest in God. Um, she was doing what was right in her own eyes. Uh, up until the point of her AIDS diagnosis, she was perfectly happy with the way that her life was going. She was probably apathetic about anything spiritual. But then out of the blue... God shows up, God shows up, and he shows her, he showers her with undeserved grace, and he draws her into a relationship with himself. And the God of the Bible, the God that, that showed the people of Israel undeserved grace, the God that showed Kathy undeserved grace, still today delights to show people, men and women, undeserved grace. Uh, in fact, although you may not even realize it, the fact that you're here today may be a sign that God is working in your heart and in your life, beginning to show you his undeserved grace. The God of the Bible is all about that. He's all about showing undeserved grace to undeserving people like you and me. That's just the way he works. So undeserved grace. The second thing I want to see here is that this grace is miraculous grace. It's miraculous grace. Uh, the angel of the Lord shows up on the doorstep of this obscure family. We don't even know the woman's name. It's kind of interesting. It? It's like the whole text, we never learned Samson's mother's name. It's just Mrs. Manoa, I guess. And, and, and God shows up, and he promises to do a work of deliverance for the nation of Israel through a child that's born to a woman who has never been able to have children. She's, she's barren. She's not able to have children. And you know, the funny thing is, is in God's economy, it's, that's not that unusual. Because if you read through these stories of the Bible, Isaac was born to barren Sarah. Samuel was born to barren Hannah. John the Baptist was born to barren Elizabeth. Jesus was born to the Virgin Mary. All of these miraculous births brought about by God. Manoah's wife's barrenness couldn't keep God from raising up a savior child through her. The fact that Mary was a virgin couldn't stop God from growing a child in her womb that would go on to become the very savior of the world. These women's barrenness was no obstacle to the miraculous grace of God. 
the nations of the nation of Israel's spiritual barrenness in this chapter is no obstacle to the miraculous grace of God. Your spiritual barrenness, my spiritual barrenness, a, a family member's spiritual barrenness is no obstacle to the miraculous grace of God. Because just as God worked miraculously to bring about a, a physical birth in the lives of these barren women, he also works miraculously to bring about spiritual birth in the lives of people who don't know him, people who don't love him, people are, who are happy to live their lives without him, doing their own thing, going their own way, and then God shows up and works miraculously in their lives. When I was a campus minister at Appalachian State, uh, one night we had a student who wasn't a believer who came to RUF, and we were actually working through the book of Romans, and we are in chapter 9 of Romans, which is the predestination chapter, which is like, you don't want any visitors to come that night. You really don't want anybody to come that night. Um, but but, but, that's, but that's, what we were, that's what we were talking about that night. And so I'm thinking, oh my goodness. So I, I, I meet the guy afterwards, and I could tell he was kind of freaking out about the whole thing. He was just kind of, hey, nice to meet you. I'm, I'm blowing this joint. You guys, are, you guys are crazy. And I was thinking, he, he's never, he's never going to come back to this again. Well, later, after he had come to RUF almost every night, for two, every time we met for two or three years, and had come to faith in Christ, uh, he told me that that night when he left, his word, I can't exactly repeat his words, but he basically said when he left that night, there's no expletive way I'm ever coming back to this place. That was what he thought as he walked out the doors that night. And yet God's miraculous grace pursued him and wooed him and won him and drew him to faith in Jesus Christ. The miraculous grace of God is able to bring you life in barren places. Uh, several weeks ago, some of you may have, may have seen this in the news, uh, there was a man who died and was laying uh, in a body bag in a funeral home. Um, they were about to put the chemicals in him in the embalming rooms. This is in Mississippi. I um, just want to point that out for John. And, 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 so, <laughs> and suddenly, the, the funeral director noticed something. This is what he said. We got him into the embalming room and we noticed his legs beginning to move like kicking. He also began to do a little breathing. Okay? To do a little breathe. We, don't, we didn't get that excited about it because it's just a, just a little breathing. Okay? Um, I mean, isn't this like your worst nightmare? Unless, like, the guy opens a bag and it's a tiny clown who's standing there and it's, it's, it's even worse. Look, I, I don't know what exactly happened there, but, but, but that's, that's actually how the Bible describes what it looks like when people come to faith in Jesus Christ. It's like dead people being raised to life. L listen, to, listen to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians 2. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, 
the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, but God being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. By grace, you have been saved. God creates life in places where there has been no life. He gives barren women children. He brings spiritually dead people to life. Now, a couple of implications of this. Number one, you are not beyond the reach of God's grace. You are not beyond the reach of God's grace. Uh, You may feel trapped. You may feel helpless. You may feel stuck in your sin. You may feel depressed and alone. But you're not beyond the reach of God's miraculous grace. Secondly, you don't know anybody who's beyond the reach of God's grace. You don't know anybody who's beyond the reach of God's grace. And y'all, that ought to give you a lot of hope. uh, As, you know, hope that when you share the gospel with a coworker, uh, you know, it's it's fumbling and, you know, we kind of, I didn't say that well, that God can actually use that. God can actually use it even if you don't say it very well. Even though that they've seen you at your worst and know what you're really like, God can actually use that. It ought to give you hope for that family member that spent years running from God. It ought to give you hope for that person that you've been praying praying for for five years or ten years or fifteen years. Don't quit praying for them. And if there's somebody that's, that's on your heart, start praying for them. Maybe God is stirring you up to pray for them because he's about to do something miraculous in their life. Uh, one of the, the dreams I have for this church, for our Grace Presbyterian Church, is that this would be a place where people experience the miraculous, undeserved grace of God. Uh, that, that hearts are changed, and hearts are changed in such a way that we can only say, I don't know how in the world that happened. I never expected that to happen. God had to do that, because we could never have brought that about in our own power. That was like a dead person rising. God did that. Uh, God does these things, and we know God will do these things, because in the words of verse 19, he is the one who works wonders. The God we serve is the one who works wonders. He is a a, a wonderful God. He brings deliverance through the children of barren women. He brings hope and life to the world through the son of a virgin who goes on to be crucified on a cross. And yet he brings life to us through this Jesus Christ. The question for you this morning is, would you trust in the promises uh, of this salvation-working God? Would you trust in this God for the barren places in your life? Would you trust that he would work in those barren places in your life? Would you trust that he would work in the barren places 
uh, of the lives of the people around you? Would you trust that our hope for bearing fruit as a church doesn't depend on how spiritually competent all of us are? And would you do the Israelites one better? Would you pray? Would you pray? And, and look, if you're so um, apathetic this morning and you, you kind of know that, that you're like, I don't, I can't even pray. I'm just to the point where I don't think it, it matters anymore. Nothing's happening. I want you to find somebody and tell them that after the service. Uh, tell me, tell a friend, tell somebody. Tell them, I'm, I'm so apathetic that I can't even pray, but would you pray for me? Would you pray that this wonder-working God that I'm hearing about, that he would actually show up in my life and show me miraculous, undeserved grace? Can we do that for one another? Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, I am... I pray that you would help us not to hide our weakness and hide our barrenness, uh, but that we would own up to it knowing that, that there is a great God who can change all of that. And so, Father, I pray that you would work undeservedly, certainly, but miraculously in our hearts and in our lives so that we are a people who love you and love our neighbor and who bear much fruit. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.